Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From My Point of View. Super Wild Card Weekend is wrapped up, and there were blowouts galore. Uh, one close game the entire weekend, and it was what most people expected to be the best game of the weekend with the Lions and the Rams. That one came down to the wire, um, and the Lions ended up winning their first playoff victory in 30-plus years. Pretty, pretty cool. Uh, the rest, domination across the board. Uh, and some teams dominated in ways you probably didn't expect, like the Packers and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers knocking out the two NFC East, NFC Beasts uh, in the Cowboys and the Eagles. So a uh, couple of shocking uh, outcomes that we had this weekend, but still great football, great storylines. Obviously, we're going to spend some time talking about Stafford and Goff and Jordan Love looked incredible. Baker Mayfield and his just unbelievable like comeback story reaching its apex. It feels like um, the odds are how what are the odds that the Packers can knock off the Niners uh, and then the AFC, the Bills rolling. We get a rematch uh, of the Bills and Chiefs in the playoffs again. So very excited for that matchup. The Dolphins, we're going to have to talk about their future uh, with McDaniel and Tua and what that looks like. Uh, and CJ Stroud being one of the best rookie quarterbacks I think I've ever seen with my own two eyes and, and what he's been able to do, uh, in his first year in the league. Cause you also have Jordan love, who's a first year starter, but he's been in the league a couple of years and he's really been able to kind of like grow and mature and hone his skills. We still weren't sure what he was going to be like coming into this year. And he's been, I mean, he, he got off to a pretty solid start, then struggled a bit for about four or five weeks. They had them and the, him and the Packers had some pretty bad losses, but able to sneak in the playoffs. And now they feel like are a completely different team. That defense that was horrible for close to a month now has figured it out, I guess. I mean, they're playing out of their mind. They were, you talk about the offense that really kind of went nuclear against the Cowboys, but their defense really was just spectacular all game. So a ton of stuff to get to for this super wildcard weekend. Um, also, we had Jason Kelsey announce his retirement, which is obviously a huge deal for the Eagles and their offensive line, where they've had an offensive line that's been good for a decade close to it now, um, at least for the last like seven or eight years since they won the Super Bowl, they've had a great offensive line. And Jason Kelsey's been in the middle of that quite literally as their center for the last decade plus. Uh, a terrific first ballot Hall of Fame offensive lineman, Jason Kelsey. Uh, so we'll talk about that. And uh, the Eagles just probably getting a major, major shakeup, as will the Cowboys. So let's start with the first game of this weekend. It is the Houston Texans hosting the uh, Cleveland Browns. The Browns, 11 and 5, a great season for them. Kevin Stefanski, coach of the year finalist, going up against D'Amico Ryan's coach of the year finalist. And Stefanski had to deal with a lot. Obviously, Deshaun Watson underperforming and then getting hurt being out the rest of the season, you're plugging in PJ Walker, you're plugging in Dorian Thompson Robinson, you sign Joe Flacco, who comes out of nowhere and just goes scorch earth for like the last three weeks of the season. The Browns 
uh, clinched their second playoff berth in like 20 years. Remember the last time they were in the playoffs was just with Baker and that was it. You know, like they really haven't had a crazy amount of sustained success since Stefanski took over, but their second time in the playoffs, you're kind of hoping that Joe Flacco is going to come in there and, and continue his, his gunslinging ways where, you know, he's taking deep, deep shots there. A couple weeks ago, the Browns played the Texans and demolished them. That was the game where, you know, Amari Cooper had like however many double digit catches for 250 yards or something like that. He went absolutely insane. Um, this time, much, much, much different story. The Texans come out of the gate swinging and they do not stop. Joe Flacco has a melt, melts down, comes back down to earth and is normal, like 38 year old Joe Flacco. And he's throwing interceptions, turn the ball over. Texans have a pick six. Uh, CJ Stroud continues to throw it all over the field. The defense for the Browns is leaving guys wide open, like Nico Collins, um, their tight end Jordan, wide open. These guys just running all over the field. Final score, Texans 45, Browns 14. Uh, a huge blowout loss. And now this is something, uh, obviously, like the Browns defense has been the best defense all year. Uh, they have basically... Will considering all the Browns QB troubles, this defense has really willed this team to the playoffs. And it was a pretty terrible, terrible first half uh, for the Browns. They start off with a punt, back-to-back, -back, three punts in a row. They go punt, Browns, punt, Texans, punt, Browns. Texans finally get on the board with a field goal, and then the Browns come back and score a touchdown. Uh, the Texans score a touchdown. Now it's 10-7 Houston. The Browns score a touchdown. It's 14-10. And then from there, the uh, the wheels really fall off for the, uh, for the Browns. So after the Texans gain a 17-14 lead, it's punt, punt, punt. Touchdown Texans, 24-14, end of half. And then the second half is where the defense kind of, they, they, Really can't do anything. The defense ends up being rendered completely useless at this point because the offense is where I should I said the defense the it falls off for the defense. It didn't fall off. It was really Joe Flacco. The wheels fall off, fall off for Joe Flacco. Um, punt in the second quarter to start for the Texans, but then back to back pick sixes for Joe Flacco, and that completely derails the game. Now it's thirty eight to fourteen. Um, the Browns have no choice. Like, they can't punt anymore. They can't settle for field goals. So they go down. They turn the ball over on downs. Texans score another touchdown. Turn the ball over on downs. Punt another turnover on downs. And then the game is over. 45 to 14. So really, the game gets sealed away here at the uh, the beginning of the second half where Flacco throws back-to-back -back pick sixes. That's the end of it. Um, but, I mean, Stroud looked great. Two, uh, yeah, he had a couple touchdowns. I think he had three touchdowns actually in this game. 16 of 21, uh, 274 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, even Devin Singletary had 66 yards on the ground, but Nico Collins 
had 96 yards. Uh, Brevin Jordan was the one that I mentioned. He had one catch in this game for a 76-yard touchdown. It was a screen pass, uh, and he broke a couple tackles, made a couple guys miss, ran right up the sideline for a touchdown. Um, John Mechie actually had, honestly, I think John Mechie might have had his best game as a pro. Three catches for 44 yards. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the Texans, their offense and their defense was just all over the place. Kind of rent once those two pick sixes happens, they basically rendered the Browns defense useless. All they had to do was not turn the ball over. And CJ Stroud has not done that all year. Uh, I think he had just five interceptions all year. So he does not really turn the ball over, um, which is great. Like, obviously, that's something that a lot of rookie quarterbacks struggle with. Mostly, if you have to, if you have to pick something um that's like common amongst rookie quarterbacks it's turning the ball over and being smart with the football cj stroud never has that problem and honestly this dude's god-given arm talent is equivalent to josh allen and i feel like it doesn't get really talked about in that way but he's super accurate and he's able to like one step into his throw casually flick it like 60 yards in the air it is really, really impressive the way this kid can throw the football. Um, again, he's very accurate. He doesn't turn the ball over. Uh, the Texans do a great job of establishing the run with their passing game. And the defense, even though it's been a little inconsistent throughout the year, they made big plays. They made big plays against a team that they knew was going to have to rely on Joe Flacco slinging the ball. Like, that's what they had to do. If they got a lead, it was be aggressive because Flack, if you put Flacco under pressure, he can make a mistake. That's just in his nature. He does, he he is a kind of, he's a gunslinger. Like, he will throw the ball. And there was a couple times where, now, I mean, there was one interception where he was under pressure, tried to, it looked like he was trying to throw it away or get it to, I think it was Cooper on the left sideline, severely underthrew it, and it was picked off. So things like that, that was all part of the Texans game plan. They executed it to perfection. And Browns fans, this is what you just looked at. Playing a team in the Houston Texans who you traded three first-round draft picks for, Deshaun Watson. Watson's not even playing in the game. C.J. Stroud dominates you, and they own your draft picks. It is a pretty tough, because C.J. Stroud is already better than Deshaun Watson. Like he is at this current stage in their career, CJ Stroud is a better quarterback than Deshaun Watson. I don't actually think it's even close. Uh, so to know that the Texans not only already have a better quarterback than you, they also own all your draft picks and they hung 45 on your head in a playoff game. That's got to be just absolutely demoralizing. And, you know, Browns fans certainly don't deserve it. Um, but you know who I, I think Jimmy Haslam does, the owner of the Browns, he deserves it because he is, I mean, you sold your soul and just look at, look at everything else too. They sold, they, they got rid of, uh, Baker Mayfield, right? They get better. They, he gets rid of Baker Mayfield. It's kind of like an awkward divorce for them. Uh, Baker obviously didn't really want to leave. He had led them to the playoffs for the first time in, you know, 20 years. Uh, they even won a playoff game beating the Steelers, right? Like Baker was kind of their savior for a few years. They discard him 
he goes to the Panthers, and now he obviously he's on the Bucks, and they just want a playoff game. So, spoiler alerts. They just want a playoff game. So it's like you see Baker winning a playoff game for the Bucks after everything he's been through, and you're now stuck paying a not great person a lot of money. And the team that you took him from and gave all your draft picks, draft picks to is already in just one short year or two short years of bad football. The Texans drafted not only CJ Stroud, Will Anderson is an absolute monster too. Like I said it, I still have the text receipts. I got into an argument with my friends at the beginning of the season because they said I, I didn't like what the Texans do. And I was like, You're, you guys are nuts. And I pulled up the receipts. Um, trading up for Will Anderson was one of the smartest things that happened in this draft. Uh, this past draft, like they took CJ Stroud, the Panthers obviously get absolutely shafted by taking Bryce Young. It doesn't look like that has nearly as much promise. And CJ Stroud is flat out good. Um, like he's arguably already a top 10 quarterback, probably a top 10 quarterback. And he's so he's he's electric. And you have Will Anderson, who is a perfect, perfect, perfect branch from. Uh, D'Amico Ryans to have their like again they drafted him and I said you could probably I'm, there's probably a, a clip I could find here on the podcast uh, I don't know if I want to dig all the way back through that but it's you know uh, maybe I will but it's they take Stroud they get Will Anderson linebacker from Alabama same cut from the same cloth as D'Amico Ryans and it is a match made in heaven They've hit on all their draft picks. Like Derek Stingley had a great year. Uh, and he he had been struggling a little bit with injuries uh, so far. But now he stayed healthy. He had a great, great season. Uh, and yeah, I mean, the Texans just, they hit on a lot of draft picks. Like Tank Dell, even though he, obviously his injury ended his season. So that was unfortunate. But he looks like him and CJ Stroud are going to be a really nice one-two punch. Devin Singletary, who they got for pennies, uh, and he really has made himself a nice, uh, a nice spot in in Houston after you know leaving Buffalo, where he really didn't get that much run. So all these guys you're picking up, you have you're drafting smart free agency moves like Nico Collins has emerged as a great one, uh, number one threat, honestly. Um, so just a really, really well done job in just two short years, hiring the right guy, drafting the right people, signing the right people, and making this team formidable. Uh, and you know, like I said, sometimes their defense is inconsistent, but they make stuff happen. You know, maybe they're a little bit risky, but they make things happen. Their offense is clearly very dynamic. So now they have to go in and play the Baltimore Ravens in Baltimore, which is going to be a very tough task. I think they're already nine and a half point dogs. Like it's a pretty big spread. Um, Ravens at home. We'll see. I don't think CJ Stroud, like I don't think the weather is going to affect CJ Stroud. You know, he played at Ohio State and it gets pretty cold there towards the end of the season. So I'm not. I don't really think that's going to be a problem for him, but CJ Stroud is an absolute beast. The Texans are so much fun to watch. And then uh, I digressed a little bit from the Browns point I was making, but the Browns have to be just like feeling like total shit. Um, 
Like Stefanski might win coach of the year. If it's not him, it's definitely D'Amico Ryans. My vote would go to D'Amico Ryans, but Stefanski definitely deserves a nomination for that. The way he was able to bring the Browns to the playoffs and how they were able to execute week in and week out when everyone thought they probably should lose, they kept winning. So they had a great year and they're just, Jimmy Haslam sold his soul. Like he sold the Browns' soul. They're, they're stuck. He made a wildly, wildly unprecedented move giving Deshaun Watson all of that guaranteed money. And it's going to come back to bite him in the ass because even with Deshaun Watson healthy, he doesn't really look like or feel like he wants to play football. Like the amount of times he got banged up in, in this year and then just elected to either not come back into the game, miss multiple weeks. Like there was a time period where he was a healthy scratch for like two weeks where they were like, oh, he has a, he's in concussion protocol. He cleared concussion protocol and then he still didn't play. So what kind of message does that send? This guy doesn't want to play football. He doesn't have to play football. He's guaranteed 200 and whatever it is, $250 million. You know, why would he want to play? You that you guaranteed every in, every cent of his contract to a guy who a lot of people might forget, even though he was he was talented and he was putting up good numbers with the Texans. His last year as a full-time starter, starter, they won like four games or five games. The Texans were not good. Uh, and you know, a lot of people can point and be like, it wasn't really his fault. He, you know, threw for like four over 4,000 yards and X amount of touchdowns and all that kind of stuff. And he was great. And at that time, I probably would have agreed with you, but he, he didn't, they, the Texans didn't win games in his final year as a starter. And then all the other stuff came out with the legal, uh, sexual harassment stuff. And it was an absolute mess. So you're giving this guy who isn't doesn't really seem to be like that great of a dude off the field didn't contribute to winning football on the field you're giving him all this money he doesn't even look like he wants to play and guess what if he doesn't want to play then he's you maybe he's injury prone because he's he seems to be doing his most to try and stay off the field so i just i don't like deshaun watson i don't i don't rock with deshaun watson i thought it was a mistake for what the browns did um to treat Baker Mayfield the way they did. And I just, I don't, it's karma. It seems like it's karma. Um, so yeah, I, I don't feel bad for the Browns ownership. I do feel bad for Browns fans. Uh, the second game of the night, the Peacock exclusive, which I thought this was so funny that the NFL and, and NBC were, you know, on Sunday, they were showing all the, all the millions and millions of people or whatever that watched on Peacock that it was the most streamed thing ever. And I, I was laughing. I'm like, yeah, obviously. Like, obviously it was the most streamed thing ever because you gave people no choice. There was no alternative. So what are people going to do? Just not watch football? Like, no, any, any diehard football guy that is not going to just miss a, which, which the Dolphins and Chiefs was an anticipated matchup. Too. So it's like not it's not like anyone's going to just not watch a playoff game. It's crazy. That, <laughs> yeah, no no shit that it was the most streamed thing ever. You had we had no alternative. I hated it. I thought it was stupid and my friends were telling which I didn't even know that I mooched I mooched a Peacock account from, you know, uh, a friend of a friend. Dude, I I wasn't I didn't want to pay that. And it's not it's like not just about the money. It's just the principle 
too, that's like, they don't even let you sign up for a free trial to watch the game. You had to buy it for whatever it is, $6 a month. It's just so unnecessary. It's so stupid. And I mean, now they're just going to look at these metrics and be like, look, it's, it's the most streamed event ever. Uh, let's do this every year. It, it's ruining it. I'm so overstreaming, and I know so many other people are overstreaming, but we have locked ourselves into a society where people are making all this stuff so exclusive, and it's like exclusively on this app or exclusively on this app that we as people have no idea how to revolt against this because we want to watch our TV shows. We want to watch our movies. We want to do all of this. And these companies aren't giving us a choice by making all this stuff exclusive that it's at the point where we have to have all this stuff. There's no way to, unless people just flat out stop watching shit to put things back to normal, it's never going to happen, right? So we're just kind of locked into this and now it's affecting sports. So. There was such a great time for me where, uh, this is a bit of a, a tangent, I know, but there's such a great time for me where I, I saw that, <laughs> I saw this meme that perfectly encapsulated. It was Mike Armentrout from Breaking Bad where, uh, where he's yelling at Walt. He's like, we had a good thing going, you son of a bitch, right? It's that scene where it's like, we had a good thing going. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look it up real quick. Hold on. It's on my Twitter. I retweeted it, so it shouldn't be too far to get for me. Um, he said, we had a good thing. We had movies that went to theaters. We had TV shows on networks that generated advertising. We had physical media. Then we'd license it all to Netflix, which everyone had. And we'd make money, but your pride and your ego. And it's like, it's so true. There was such a, a blissful period for me where... I watched cable for my sports and occasionally what was on TV, right? Reruns of shows that I liked and such. Then there was Netflix where they had streaming different shows, different movies, and then they had their original programming, which was really nice. So it was just a nice one-stop streaming service where there was all these movies, all this licensing went through Netflix, all the TV shows licensing went through Netflix, everything got licensed through Netflix. So you had all your stuff, all your, most of your, most of your favorite TV shows and favorite movies all in one spot. And it was awesome. And then I had Crunchyroll and Crunchyroll was just for my anime. So that was, that was it. I had one stop for anime, one for all TV shows and movies. And then I still had cable and then Hulu shows up. So Hulu's cool. Because now it's like a place where, okay, it separates it now to this is where I'm going to watch most of my cable shows that I like, right? So uh, Supernatural, I could, well, Supernatural was on Netflix, but like One Tree Hill was on Hulu for a bit, even though I watched that on Netflix as well, but they took it off. So like all the CW shows, all the Fox shows, CBS shows, um, ABC all those shows you could watch on Hulu. And those were kind of like the day after they aired on cable, they would just go to Hulu. And that was nice for a while. And then obviously now it's it's completely out of control with every single channel and every single network having their own uh, streaming service where now it's like True TV and all those kind of like the sci-fi, all those shows that are owned, all those channels that are owned by like Warner Brothers Discovery, um, Paramount now, 
And now th those two companies are talking about a merger, which means that Paramount Plus and HBO Discovery H and, and Max would somehow merge into one giant conglomerate. Oh, is it all this illegal? Like what happened to, when does a monopoly kick in? Because right now it, it turned into like all these smaller things have sucked up. Like Showtime got bought out by Viacom CBS and then Viacom CBS got bought out by Paramount. And then Warner Brothers bought Discovery and then it was Warner Brothers Discovery and then they bought HBO and now they have, now it's just all just max. And now Warner Brothers Discovery is talking about buying Paramount. So then they would all become one thing. Where Where's the line? Where do we stop? This is because it's, it's so, so stupid. And like Peacock is such an unnecessary, like, you know, it, it's just such a stupid app. And it, it's... Now, like we then we license, you know, the NFL licensed Thursday night football to Amazon Prime, which is like I kind of got used to it, but it's I don't like it. Like I want I miss having Thursday night football on NBC where I could just change it to channel four. I don't know why, like, this has become such an issue. Now everything's streaming. Uh, and then Sunday ticket too. Sunday ticket is a streaming service. You can't have it used to be DirecTV, which was just a cable service, and you'd have it on there. Uh, and the one thing that I've noticed, too, which is so annoying, is that the best thing about cable was that we were all watching the same thing at the same time. And now it's streaming. It's like I'm streaming the game, and I'm literally 45 seconds ahead of my friends who are streaming the same game, but on a different app. Like one of my friends is streaming the game on his laptop. I'm on Xbox. And another friend streaming the game on his phone. I'm thirty. I'm I'm ten seconds ahead of the guy that's on his laptop, but I'm thirty seconds ahead of the guy that's on his phone. How is that? And then someone who is watching the game on YouTube TV is watching it in real time. You see how how annoying that is? Is that everyone? is now watching the game at different points and no one's actually watching it like in real time almost. Yeah, you know? whereas cable, it's like, we're all watching the same thing at the same time. We all are reacting in real time to the same exact thing. And that was great. It was a great, that's something I feel like that's really overlooked in terms of uh, how streaming has affected things. Uh, all right, that's my little, my little uh, monologue tangent rant whatever you want to call it on how streaming is stupid and how it's a bubble and i hope it bursts and eventually all these streaming services go bankrupt and we have to go running back to cable i'm i'm looking forward to it i feel like a lot of that's happening in, in a few different ways but anyway the peacock exclusive game on saturday night was uh, the Dolphins at the Kansas City Chiefs. It was around negative 25 degrees Fahrenheit with wind chill in Kansas City, Missouri for this game. Really brutal conditions. Um, some of the end zones were really like iced over. For the most part, it wasn't, it didn't seem to be horrible. Like Mahomes, <laughs> this is what we say about home field advantage, right? And everyone's like, Oh, how are, how is the cold weather going to affect the Dolphins? You know, Tua doesn't play well in cold weather. Yada, yada, yada. It's true. It worked. I mean, it, it was exactly that. And because Patrick Mahomes had no trouble throwing the football. Um, 
he threw for 262 yards, one touchdown. He was 23 of 41. Uh, Isaiah Pacheco was obviously a dog in this game, and everyone was expecting him to be a big part of it. 24 carries, 89 yards, and a touchdown for him. Rashi Rice really showed out. Eight catches, 130 yards, and a touchdown for Rashi Rice, who has emerged. Kind of seems like he's emerged as Mahomes' number one target, even over Travis Kelsey, who, uh, as I mentioned uh, last week, Kelsey finished the season. Um, First time in eight seasons where he did not have a thousand yards. Uh, and the Dolphins, they didn't really they don't really have a power rushing attack. It's more of like a a speed finesse rushing attack, um, where they do power tosses and sweeps and quick screens to get the ball in their playmakers' hands as quickly as possible. And they were doing that, but Mostert couldn't get any anything going. I Barely saw Devon Achain in this game. Jeff Wilson got a couple touches, but they couldn't really do anything on the ground. Um, the wind seemed to be affecting Tua a lot. The wind and the cold seemed to be affecting Tua a lot because there were a lot of like, anytime Tua threw outside the numbers, whether it was a short pass or intermediate, they did not throw the ball downfield really at all this game, the Dolphins. Um, so right there, like their explosiveness is cut really cut down by like a sizable margin. And even when Tua was tasked for like, by like throwing five to six yards down the field outside the numbers, he was throwing ducks. Like saw, like it, he threw a pass where he turned to his left and threw. And it was just like his receiver sitting on the sideline and it felt like the ball was in the air for five seconds. You know, and the pass was broken up. And it was incomplete. So there was a lot of that going on, uh, going around for Tua, where he just could. He had absolutely zero zip on the ball. Um, and now with the Dolphins, there's a lot of problems that probably need to be addressed. And I'm going to take some points from um, my friend who's a Dolphins fan. He does not want them to sign Tua. Uh, signing Tua could be a mistake. Giving this guy like $40 million would be a mistake. But also, he's not thrilled with Mike McDaniel because McDaniel constantly does bad play for as, as great and innovative and as high-powered as the Dolphins' offense has seemed at times. There are also times where it's like he doesn't revert back to basics. He doesn't try and run the ball in the gaps. He doesn't, you know try and run he's throwing these screens when it's you know second and long and he's throwing the ball behind the line of scrimmage things like that where it pisses like the play calling pisses him off um and just not just overthinking things getting cute that that's really what it comes down to is that mcdaniel gets cute sometimes and when he really shouldn't be and tua tua has a lot i i tua i don't know where I don't know where the line is for him where it's like, is, is he the guy? Is he not? He doesn't really, it's clearly the cold. I mean, this, this weather was like exceptionally cold. Like again, minus 25 with wind chill. Like it's, it's horrible there. And I can't imagine that was fun to play in. But, you know, when you see Mahomes throwing the ball the way he's throwing the ball, 
And then Tua throwing the ball the way he's throwing the ball. There's like a very drastic difference where it's like, okay, is it the weather or is it our quarterback? So I just, and and after, I mean, the Titans loss really kind of just derailed the entire season. They weren't the same after that. They lose to the division. They lose the division. Then they have to go to Kansas City and play Kansas City and they get embarrassed by them. Um, Just cannot do anything offensively to move the ball down the field. So it was pretty, pretty brutal um, to watch just given how the Dolphins have been all year and then what they ended up being in the playoffs. It's not great. And like I said, this off, this off season, because there were so many blowouts this weekend, a lot of these playoff teams are going to have to dig deep and be like, all right, why did we get our asses kicked? And the Dolphins are right up there. Like the Browns are going to have to figure it out. Like you're going to have things with the Browns where, you know, are you, you have a lot of guys to pay for the Browns, right? Including your uh, quarterback. And are you going to be able to keep that defense together? Because they were kind of the reason why you guys were so good this year. Right with the Dolphins, it's like you have to pay Tua. Um, what's going to happen with Tyreek? Um, and yeah, I mean they just—they were a good regular season team. They came into the playoffs. They went into a really, really tough environment, and they got completely outclassed. So, how does McDaniel change things? Do they keep two around? Do they extend him? What is the game plan in Miami? I certainly have no idea. Um, and honestly, you know, if your gut instinct is get rid of Tua, how do you, do you try and draft someone? Like, I don't understand what the backup plan is. Like Jaden Daniels, if he falls to you, Michael Penix, if he falls to you, what do you what do you do here if you're the Miami Dolphins? Like, how do you approach this offseason in terms of your quarterback? Uh, as for the Chiefs, another playoff win for Patrick Mahomes at Arrowhead, and they march forward. This defense is, I mean, they've been really, really good all year, and they had a, a blip in the middle of the season, like a lot of teams do, where their run defense was particularly bad, and it was like, oh, like, what are we, what are we going to do here? Like, are the Chiefs, is the defense kind of losing it? Was it a fluke? Were they, what's, what's their problem? And um, now they're just back to being the defense that we saw for most of the year, which is really, really good. The first game on Sunday, so we actually had uh, a game on Sunday get postponed, which was something that was pretty unprecedented. Um, but the Bills, Kathy Hockule, the governor of New York, issued a, uh, I think I think it was a state of emergency for Buffalo. They had a massive winter storm. There were videos that were coming out of all this snow, this crazy wind. Um, so they postponed the game from uh, Sunday at, I think they were supposed to play at four. Packers Cowboys supposed to play at one. Bills Steelers supposed to play at 4.30. They moved that game from 4.30 to Monday at 4.30, and then they slid the Packers down, Packers Cowboys down from 1 to 4.30. So two games on Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Uh, but so the first game on Sunday, 4.30, Packers Cowboys, what an ass whooping. And this is a game where if you look at this box score, if, if you didn't watch the game and you just look at the final score and you look at the final stats in the box score, you're going to think, well, 
it was a high scoring game. You know, the Cowboys seems like they made one too many mistakes and they they came up short and that was how the game ended. But that is not like this final score ended 48 to 32. Any person that says, well, Dak ended with 400 yards. The Cowboys, you know, they 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 rallied in the second half. They almost had a chance to win the game. You didn't watch the game. If that's what you're saying, you did not watch the game. This game was over at halftime. This game was this game was actually over when Darnell Savage picked off Dak Prescott for uh, a pick six. That's when this game was over. The Cowboys, you you probably didn't even have to play the rest of the game. It was a waste of time because that's when this game was over. You have, you know, the Jair, Jair Alexander pick is like, that's not a great throw by Dak, but it's a great play by Jair Alexander. Uh, and then the, the Darnell Savage one was like, Dak staring down his guys, trying to force feed CeeDee Lamb the ball. Darnell Savage is sitting in the middle of the field waiting for Dak to throw the ball and just casually runs in front of it and goes untouched. No one within like 10 yards of him into the end zone. Um, it was a really, 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 really bad pass by Dak Prescott. And that's why it felt like not only was it just Dak doesn't even know what he's looking at there, but... um you throw an interception to their safety that ends up scoring a touchdown. That's when this game felt like it was over. Uh, you know, they go into halftime up 27 to seven. They outscore, they put up 14 again in the third. It's just, there's nothing, 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 nothing that the Cowboys could have done. So do not let anyone talk to you about like, Oh, the second half, they looked like they put it together, but it was too little too late. No, don't look at like, you can't look at Dak's stats and be like, Oh, he played kind of well. He didn't. I know uh, like Rex Ryan was on ESPN talking about how, you know, this isn't all Dak's fault. This is barely Dak's fault because the defense sucked. Yeah, the defense sucked, but Dak also threw two interceptions in the first half and one was a pick six. So he kind of spotted the Packers seven points there. And then the other interception also, he basically spotted the Packers seven points. So he spotted the Packers 14 points by himself. And he he looked horrible. Like, they couldn't do anything. Jair Alexander had a really good game before he got injured. Um, I actually don't know if he came back into the game or not. But the Packers' defense was just all over the place from the get-go. Like, they completely stifled the Cowboys out of the gate. Uh, and, you know, Joe Barry was the defensive... I mean, he is the defensive coordinator for the Packers. But Joe Barry was a guy who... Around right after, I would say a week after, because the, the Packers did beat the Lions pretty convincingly on Thanksgiving. So I would say from like the first or second week of December, when the, that's when the Packers defense, like this, they had a, a horrible December, a absolutely dreadful December, the Packers defense. And from like the first or second week of December to basically the end of the season, or up until the last week of the season, the defense was in shambles. And Joe Barry was like one of the most despised dudes in Wisconsin. Everyone in Green Bay was calling for this dude's job. Figure it, you know, we got to figure it out. He's not, he doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, what, what kind of scheme is he running? You know, all that kind of stuff where they just wanted Joe Barry gone. He was, he was the most negative thing that any Packers fan had to say about the Packers was the defense. Then they have a good game against the Bears in the final uh, regular season game where they looked good. Jordan Love looked good. The defense looked good. Granted, again, it's against the Bears, but the Bears, for to everyone's knowledge, even though they played shitty opponents, the Bears had been playing well. 
and you beat them pretty convincingly to end the season. You're going into Dallas against the Cowboys. It's like, all right, this is a tough environment. Dallas has very, very noticeably played way, way, way better at home than on the road this year. A lot of people are probably thinking they're going to get blown out. I took the Packers plus seven. I also live bet Jordan Love to have three plus passing TDs after the first half when he only had one. Great bets by me. Um, you can follow my bets at, at from, my, from my point of view pod on Instagram. Just saying. Uh, but yeah, man, they were like pretty, pretty horrible for about a month. And now they look the opposite. <laughs> I mean, they looked great. And to think that this team had Rasul Douglas, they traded him to, to Buffalo is crazy. They'd probably be a little bit better without with, with him, right? But Ballantyne, Alexander, Darnell Savage, you know, the, the defensive line is playing really well. They were getting after Dak. They were locking down the receivers. I mean, they they had no, the receivers had nowhere to run. And that brings me to the Cowboys a little bit. The play calling for Dallas was abysmal. Um, really just generic routes, not scheming to get anybody open. In the second half, they kind of turned it around. They got CD open. And I don't know if that was because he had more opportunities without Jair Alexander on him, but... Uh, they were able to finally get CD the ball, work him the ball in the second half. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, I think um, Jake Ferguson had three touchdowns. Like, they were getting him the ball. It's just they they didn't – it was all garbage time. Like, none of it meant anything. And that's really what it was. None of, none of the scores that Dallas had meant anything. Because at, at no point – when they scored the football, at no point were they actually within like reach to win the game. The Packers were in complete control, and Jordan Love, a NFC North fans, you know, close your eyes, muffle your ears, because Jordan Love, I mean, this guy has the mechanics of Aaron Rodgers. We'll call it as it is. And I'm not saying he's as good as Aaron Rodgers was on the Packers. I am not saying that at all because until he wins an MVP or even is in that discussion, uh, actually, no, until he wins multiple MVPs and maybe a Super Bowl, then we could talk about him being as good as Aaron Rodgers. But in terms of mechanics, yeah, he's up there. And I was talking to this about my, with my friends too, where he does the same thing as Aaron Rodgers, where he's able to kind of drop back and, and lean back, flick his hips open and just flick his wrist and deliver an accurate ball with great velocity on it every single time just by flipping his uh, his hips and his wrist open and just slinging it around the field. It's crazy because there are screenshots of him and Rodgers where it's like they're doing that with their mechanics and it's their feet are off the ground. Their feet are literally off the ground or like they're, they're back hippy toe is like the only part of the of their feet that's touching the ground. So it's really like they're not planting, driving, stepping into the throws. It's all body and wrist and just like natural God-given arm talent. And even Brett Favre was able to do this too. And like he put a lot more velocity on his ball, but like he was able, like the Packers, unquestionably, the Packers scouting department has a unmatched ability to scout NFL 
talent, the NFL quarterbacks, because they are now three for their last three. And it is pretty insane to think that like Jordan Love can be here for 10 to 15 years, just like his predecessors were. And, you know, the Packers are going to be good as long as he's healthy and they're going to compete again. And it's just like, you're not going to have any dark period as a Green Bay Packer fan. Um, And he's just, I mean, Jordan Love looked great. Again, those mechanics are eerily similar uh, to Aaron Rodgers. And I would, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's not a coincidence considering he was his backup for three years and watching him play, probably studying his tape. I don't know how much Rodgers had to do with mentoring Aaron uh, Jordan Love because there were some, you know, uh, stories about how he didn't really like him when he got there because he didn't want the Packers to draft his replacement and all that kind of, you know how it goes, right? It was very similar to how Brett Favre treated Aaron Rodgers, allegedly. But also there are quotes about from Aaron Rodgers saying while he was on the Packers, you know, Jordan Love is going to be a really good QB for a long time in this league. So not really sure where their relationship stood in terms of mentor, mentee, and how much Aaron Rodgers kind of showed Jordan Love and and helped him in, in terms of his development. But it doesn't matter if he had a lot to do with it or nothing to do with it because his play style and his mechanics rubbed up on rubbed off on Jordan Love anyway because Jordan Love's mechanics look exactly like Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> so it, it's pretty... It's pretty insane. Like he's really fun to watch and he's really pleasant to watch the way he delivers the football. Um, But on top of that, it's also really easy to deliver the football when you have Romeo Dobbs and other guys on the Packers offense just running wide open in the middle of the field. Just wide open. Guys aren't even like Romeo Dobbs had multiple catches this game where guys weren't even five yards near him and just tons of open field to do whatever you want. Uh, make a play happen, get big chunks of yardage. It was insane. And then on top of that, Aaron Jones. Uh, Aaron Jones had a three-touchdown game. He was running all over the Packers in the second half, like just putting the game away. Chunk after chunk after chunks of yardage, running the ball on the ground, 10 yards, 10 yards, 10 yards, 15 yards a clip. He was sensational. Um, and the Packers offensive line deserves a lot of credit the way they protected Jordan Love, who he himself does a really good job of buying time in the pocket. But additionally, that pocket already is like, and that's why there's guys running wide open down the, you know, 10, 15, 20, 25 yards down the field for the Packers is because the offensive line is doing a great job protecting Jordan Love. And then on top of that, he could still buy extra time on, on top of it for himself, you know, with his legs. and. You know, the DBs just, they have no shot. Deron Bland, first team all pro, uh, broke the record for pick sixes this year, has been getting cooked the past couple weeks. He's been getting cooked. So it's just, it's pretty, it's pretty insane that uh, the Packers dominated in this fashion in Dallas, where it's like, even I said, Dallas sneaking, Dallas ripping that a, uh, that NFC title away from Philly was so important to them because now they got multiple home games. I said it was so important. I knew it was so important. Everyone thought that. And it, I mean, if you look at the if you watch the entire season, there's no reason to not think that. The, the Cowboys had been significantly better at home 
than on the road. But now Dallas just Dallas is actually, I think they're six and zero all time at AT&T Stadium since Jerry World was created. Uh, they won a soup their Super Bowl in Dallas. They um won, I think they're two and zero in the regular season, and then they're three and zero in the playoffs. Or they're three and zero in the regular season and two and zero in the playoffs uh, at AT and T Stadium. So they dominate, and it was pretty coincidental, but also funny that the day after Green Bay beat Dallas, a huge winter storm hit Texas, and now they're basically like shut down for the next however many days or or week because Texas is I have a friend who lives in in Houston or actually he lives now in in Dallas but he lives in Texas um and he was telling me a few years ago when they got one of those other winter storms uh that Texas's infrastructure as a state is not equipped to handle freezing temperatures so when it's freezing and there's snow and ice and all that like the state basically shuts down like there's nothing anyone can do um and it, it's pretty it's pretty brutal so that happening right after the green bay packers come in and whoop your ass is uh a funny a funny coincidence uh the nightcap for sunday night rams lions it was certainly i think the most anticipated playoff matchup uh, this weekend, considering all the storylines surrounding it, obviously Goff was the number one overall pick by the Rams. He was traded for Stafford, who was the number one overall pick by the Lions. He had played over a decade, I think a dozen years there in Detroit. He was traded. Uh, they were swapped for each other. And then Stafford goes on to win a Super Bowl in LA. Goff is there through a little bit of a rebuild. And then, you know, now obviously the Lions are good. They're hosting their first playoff game since 1991, which is the last time they won a playoff game. And they went, they come out, first of all, the Lions came out of the gate screaming. Uh, immediately, first two drives, two touchdowns, boom, they're up 14 to nothing. Uh, but then the Rams defense really locked in on the second half. Uh, and by locked in, I mean like the the there was actually only nine points total in the second half. The Rams uh Kept the Lions to just three, held the Lions to just three points in the second half, uh, but they just could not get a touchdown on the board. They had to settle for two field goals in the second half, and the final score was 24 to 23. Uh, Jared Goff was sensational. Matthew Stafford was sensational. And you talk about the last of a dying breed, and that's Matthew Stafford. I mean, first of all, Detroit fans, I lost a lot of respect for you. Like, I understand this is like, it's an emotional game. Stafford used to be your guy and then he's he, you know he went and left to LA and he won a Super Bowl. I I saw a lot of people who were like, "Oh, it's we were we were de the Detroit Rams for a while. We were rooting for him in the Super Bowl. We wanted to see him succeed, but now it's a playoff game." I I saw a lot I saw on part of my take they were talking about it on on Twitter that like there's a certain popular bar in Detroit that was not allowing you to wear Stafford Lions jerseys for the fans of Detroit. To boo Matt Stafford was absolutely insane to me. Like, I, I get it's a playoff game. You want it to be like a hostile environment. But I felt like that was pretty crazy.
Like it almost made me want to root for the Rams uh, to be like, well, that's, that's karma. This guy, you know, every week always laid this, laid his body on the line for you guys. He was a tough as hell player, got you to the playoffs. Like he tried, he just, he couldn't do it. Like he, he was really good for you, but inspired so much hope for this franchise. And I mean, to, to openly boo him the way they did, I thought was absolutely horrible and completely out of line. Again, I know it's a playoff game, but Jesus Christ, like, what are we doing here? That's like bad juju written all over it. And I really thought Stafford was going to get it done in the second half, but the Rams came up just short. But like I said, you talk about the last of a dying breed for Matthew Stafford because this guy got absolutely blasted. And upon the replay, it looks like he's out cold. Uh, his uh, his eyes are wide open, but they're like completely dilated where it's like lights on, no one's home. And you kind of see him staring at the ceiling and then all of a sudden kind of, you know, snaps back into it uh, and gets up and he walks off the field holding his shoulder like he hurt a rib or he hurt his shoulder, right? He's like peeled over to the right. And uh, Chris Long, on him and his brother Kyle, do the uh do their podcast together and chris was saying uh sometimes what a lot of guys will do to kind of mask it over when they know they kind of snap back into when you're like oh I, like i might definitely have a concussion right now but i don't want to like not come back into this game what they do what they'll do is when they'll get up and they'll kind of just like hold a body part like ah this is what's hurting and then when they go into the blue medical tent they'll get checked out and it'll be like easier to clear them and put them back into the game. And a lot of these guys on the Rams were t- are just tough as nails. Matthew Stafford, Puka Nakua got banged up in this game and he came back to play. Kyron Williams left multiple times with injuries and came back to play. So he, like this team is tough as hell. Um, and Stafford like is really, really, really the last of a dying breed because you do not see quarterbacks deal with injuries like that anymore and i i honestly like i get it's the playoffs you know they let him back in the game and all that kind of stuff but i'm pretty i'm surprised that they did because it, it, seeing the replay they must have not shown the replay in the stadium because if they did there's no way no way the refs would have let matthew staff the refs or like the medical uh neurologist independent neurologist or whatever would have let matthew stafford back in the game because he was out cold at least it looked like he was out cold. unless he just got like really shell-shocked because he got absolutely clobbered um but it looked like he was out cold and then you kind of see him snap back into it and he gets up holding his shoulder savvy veteran iron man kind of move uh and again they just do not make them like matthew stafford anymore uh and he came back to this game still was dealing like did everything he could just couldn't get it done uh, against Detroit, and I'm not happy that Detroit booed Matthew Stafford, but I, it was very cool to see them win a playoff game. I've never seen the Lions win a playoff game before, which is pretty crazy to think about. Um, first time since 1991. They are now geared up to play the... Uh, they are playing the winner of the Bucks and Phillies, so it's going to be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Lions will play the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Packers will play the San Francisco 49ers. So 
Uh, we're talking about that was the Rams and the uh, Lions. So moving on to Monday, Bills, Steelers. This line was at 10 and uh, I think nine and a half, 10 and a half. I thought the Bills, I picked the Bills. I, I stood away from, just because it's so many points and it's a playoff game. I did stay away from the points, but I did take the Bills team total over 24 and a half. Um, Bills crushed. They cruised. Uh, the Steelers stink. Mason Rudolph stinks. And the big story coming out of this is that post-game presser, Mike Tomlin was there, and you can kind of see he was on edge. He was like waiting for so an excuse to leave because the first question a reporter asks about his future, he dips. All he did was they were like, what, what is the, you know, after this playoff loss, well, what do you think the future holds for you? He left. He left the press conference, which is obviously not a great sign if you're a Steelers fan. And it's not really a great look for Mike Tomlin either. But, you know, with the Steelers, they obviously have this storied history of head coaches. They've only had two in the last like 40 years or something like that. Uh, so it's really an unprecedented run um, in terms of just franchise consistency. You know, up until this year, they didn't even like to fire coaches midseason, no matter who it was. But they were they forced their hand with Matt Canada. Obviously ended up working out because the offense got significantly better and they were able to sneak into the playoffs. But now you're going into Buffalo against Josh Allen. Buffalo's on a roll. They feel basically the Buffalo feels unstoppable. They're playing on uh a, a great, great level right now. Josh Allen's playing well. He had an unbelievable 50 plus yard touchdown run where it was just like really it, it was very impressive by Josh Allen, don't get me wrong, but it was such soft tackling by the Steelers, which is not what they are known for. And if you ever heard any of any former, any recently former Steelers, like within the, if there was a, if they were Pittsburgh Steelers within the last 20 years and you hear them talk about the Steelers now, it's like a, it's like a disgust on the, on their tongue when they talk about them. Cause they think like they're so soft. They're just not, it's not like the Steeler way, you know, the way they've been playing football, the way they've been operating is not the Steeler way. And that is alarming to a lot of fans, a lot of former players, like Big Ben is saying this kind of stuff. Ryan Clark saying this kind of stuff. It's just not the same Steelers team as it used to be. And obviously it's very evident. I mean, they're just, they have a quarterback issue. I don't really think Kenny Pickett's been healthy. I'm pretty sure. And they're just not, he's, they're not playing him. They're not playing him over Mason Rudolph, which is crazy. Um, Mason Rudolph stinks. Mitch Trubisky stinks. Kenny Pickett's not great either. So it's just you're in a kind of a difficult spot. What do I expect from the Steelers? Um, more of the same. I mean, you can't. After everything that Mike Tomlin has been around for, you know, if you were going to fire him for not you know, getting back to the AFC championship game or getting back to the Super Bowl uh, since they lost to the Packers, right? Because they they won one um, and then they, they, they won against the Cardinals and then they lost against the Packers, right? So you've been, been to two Super Bowls, you won once, you finished over 500 every single year of your coaching career. If you were going to fire, if, if, the Roonies were going to fire Mike Tomlin. It should have been a couple years ago when they lost horribly to the Cleveland Browns in the playoffs. That would have been the point for me where it's like, okay, maybe it's time for a change because Big Ben's retiring. 
you know, after that year, maybe it's time to ask Tomlin to kind of step aside or whatever. Now he has one year left on his deal. If anything, I'm expecting him to just come back, coach the Steelers. They'll go over 500. Maybe they'll make the playoffs. Um, but after that, you don't resign him and that's it. You have someone else, either he, Mike Tomlin retires, he goes coach somewhere else or whatever. But I just, I don't, I, I'm pretty sure there's one year left on his deal. But, you know, with one left, one year left on his deal, I don't see now being time that, you know, ownership decides that it's the first time they're going to fire their head coach in, in literally decades. I don't think it's, that's going to happen. Uh, they'll just probably let Tomlin ride it out. And if they really come to the understanding that like, hey, this is the last rodeo. And then I think it's time to to move in a different direction. Then it'll come to its, its natural or about as natural of a conclusion as it can come to with just a contract expiring and deciding not to extend him. And that'll be it. But outside of Mike Tomlin, like the Steelers have a ton of problems. So it's like you, you're really kind of, needle in a haystack there man like there's there are a lot of problems with the Steelers that they need to address and I think Mike Tomlin like what other coaches are out there that are going to be a better fit for the Steelers than Mike Tomlin I'm not really that's why it's like important when you have a really good consistent coach it's not easy to move on from that um but yeah when you hear these other Steelers players and these ex-Steelers players talk about the Steelers now that's just they feel like this sense of disappointment and disgust where it's just like, this is not the Steeler way. This is not what we're about. This is not what we have been about. And we've gotten so far from that. That's like, what are we doing? You know, uh, as for the bills, they are really, really hot right now. And sometimes that's enough. So if the bills beat the chiefs, I I can't see them losing. I I think if there's going to be a time, if there's going to be a loss in this playoffs for the Bills, it's going to be against the Chiefs because the Mahomes and and the Chiefs, the I, obviously they go back and forth in the regular season, but the last couple postseason meetings, Mahomes has them right. So I just I think that this is going to be a very, very exciting matchup for them. Um, I love the Bills right now. I'm super high on the Bills right now. So I'm very excited for this playoff matchup uh, next. I think they're playing on Sunday. Yeah, Sunday night, 6.30 will be the Bills and the Chiefs. Uh, very, very excited for this game. Josh Allen's playing like a maniac. This defense uh, is turning the ball over. They're getting after the quarterback. They look great. So if they can keep it up, if this defense and the secondary can keep it up and Josh Allen just keeps being a, an absolute maniac, then the bills have a real shot to get to the Super Bowl here. Uh, obviously, well, let's say they have a real shot to get to the AFC championship game. Um, as for the last game of the night or the, of the weekend, Eagles bucks, what an absolutely crazy game this was uh crazy as in surprising the bucks win 32 to 9 the uh, eagles are not able to put points on the board the eagles are only able to push across one touchdown and one field goal the buccaneers defense was sensational jalen hurts had one of the worst safeties i've ever seen where he 
backpedaled. Remember a couple of weeks ago when Lamar was playing the Niners and he kind of ran back into his own end zone and ran into the referee and then kind of flicked it forward. That's what happened with Jalen Hurts, except he didn't run into a referee. There was no one in the end zone. He was all by himself. He just held, held on to the ball way too long, started getting wrapped up and just threw the ball. It was intentional grounding in the end zone. Safety. Pretty bad. I mean, Jalen Hurts looked horrible. The offense looked horrible. No A.J. Brown, which is a huge blow, obviously, for the, the Eagles and their offense. The offense was bad, and the offense has been pretty bad for the last couple weeks of the season, for sure. But the, the main concern that everyone was talking about was the defense. And the defense did not get any better against Baker Mayfield and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They let up two 40-plus yard touchdowns. Uh, to open the game, so they had McLaughlin kick a field goal to make it three to nothing, and then David Moore had a 44-yard catch and run from Baker for ten yard uh, for a, a touchdown to make it ten to nothing. McLaughlin tacked on a couple more field goals before the half, but at, even at halftime, it was only 16 to nine. So you're thinking, all right, like Philly has an outside chance here. Um, you get the safety, and then a 56-yard Trey Palmer touchdown from Baker, and then also a 23-yard touchdown in the fourth to Chris Godwin. And the tackling by the Eagles was so pathetic. Um, they couldn't cover anybody. They just looked so, so, so bad. It was really embarrassing. Um, there Clearly, you want to talk about like when you, yes, losing two coordinators in the same offseason to other head coaching jobs is a really big blow to a, an organization. But like the, the, the drop off was insane. Like really a, you talk about significant way more than significant. <laughs> like it was an enormous drop off between what the Eagles had on offense and defense last year. They were historically great on offense and defense last year and just like the defense was horrific, like borderline unplayable this year. And the offense, because of that, also suffered tremendously. But in, also, Jalen Hurts had a really down year. Yeah, from where he was last year to what he was this year, he turned the ball over a ton, bad mistakes. Um, like the safety is just, it encapsulates that for the Eagles, where it's just, just like that's a brain dead, bad mistake. Like you cannot be doing that. So a ton of, uh, Really, really poor play for the Eagles. They get shelled in Tampa Bay, 32 to nine, and the Bucks advance to the divisional round. They go to Detroit to take on the Lions. So the Eagles, shockingly enough, they might fire their head coach. Uh, Nick Sirianni certainly has to be on the hot seat, even a year removed from being the runner-up uh, at the Super Bowl. Just the way this team performed, losing your coordinators, yes, again, big blow to them. But as a head coach, that's something you have to try and offset and, and figure out, and he just very clearly cannot do that. Um. We know Philly has a low tolerance for bad head coaches because, you know, two years after they won the Super Bowl, they fired Doug Peterson. Um, it's it's really like unprecedented what goes on around there. So they they are like completely insufferable. 
And it would not surprise me in the least if they fired Nick Sirianni. But the defense needs an overhaul. You're going to see big, big changes coming to Dallas and Philly because not only do they are they going to have coaching changes, which we didn't even talk about Mike McCarthy. Mike McCarthy and Dak Prescott for Dallas real quick. They're probably gone. Um, I would be very shocked if Dallas held on to Dak Prescott just because it feels like, you know, ever since he's been there, it's been disappointment, disappointment, disappointment in the playoffs where, you know, he crumbles, some, the defense crumbles, whatever it may be. But it's been so much of the same thing basically since Dak Prescott has gotten there uh, that it's like, I think it might just be time to start fresh and move on. And I don't know how willing Jerry Jones is to do that. Uh, do they go out and get Bill Belichick? He just interviewed with the Atlanta Falcons. Um, I personally don't see Belichick as a Cowboys head coach just because Jerry Jones has his hands in the day-to-day -day operation so much so that it feels like someone of Bill Belichick's caliber is not in his wheelhouse. He needs someone who has a track record of being a pretty solid head coach and has had some success, but at the same time is still being, you can still manipulate him, you know, and you can still have your say and, and overrule his decisions if you so choose. And with Bill Belichick, I just feel like that's not something he would sign on to do. And I don't really think Jerry Jones is the type of guy to relinquish such power to Bill if that meant he would come coach the Cowboys. I don't think Jerry's going to do that. So that just is what it is. And then with Dak, like I said, it's been the same thing ever since he's been a starter for the Cowboys in terms of how they lose in the playoffs. Same thing year after year after year. So for me, it's just, it's time to move on. And I'm not, I, I couldn't even, they have Trey Lance. Maybe they want to give Trey Lance a shot and see what he can do. I, I have no idea, but um, there's not really a hot market for quarterbacks right now. It, and I understand that. And the Dallas Cowboys obviously are not going to be in a position to draft one, but it just feels like it need, it's time to move on from Dak Prescott. And I don't say that maliciously or anything like that. I actually do respect Dak as a person. Um, you know, I as a football player, I can always count on him making these mistakes in the playoffs because it's just it's what happens every year. Uh, but for him, like he's he's not a bad quarterback. You know, I think he's pretty middle of the pack, but Clearly, you can't win a Super Bowl with him. Um, and I just don't know why you would run it back with McCarthy and him. I think to get rid of both of them would probably be the most likely and smartest move. Um, but I, I, like I said, there's not really a big quarterback market right now. So I don't know who exactly Jerry would go out and get to replace both of those guys. Um, but it feels like it's time to get rid of both of them. And for the Eagles, you know, I still think Jalen Hurts is the guy there. I still think they have a lot of talent, but Nick Sirianni, I think, is probably is probably cooked. Um, it, it just they they have the the drastic drop off. Like they really didn't change that much. Um, they you know they drafted Jalen Carter. They have Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox are mainstays there. They had, you know, Slay, Bradbury, um, like Hassan Reddick's still there too. Like they really didn't have that many significant changes on defense. 
And the fact the how bad they were compared to last year is like a historic drop off. And it, 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 I understand you lost your coordinator, but as a head coach, like I said, you have to be able to kind of try and make up some of that difference. And Sirianni just has not been able to do that at all, offensively or defensively. And, you know, getting Patricia to be like the play caller on defense was a bad move because he stinks. He's not a good NFL coach at all in any area. He's a bad coach. So they just had so many problems and such a drastic drop off the last six weeks of the season that it was really jarring to, to watch in real time. Um, and especially even more so now looking back on it, just how crazy that drop off was and to get shelled in Tampa against the Bucks. Um, just bad, really, really, really bad for the Phillies, uh, for Philadelphia and the Eagles. So I don't really feel bad for either one of these teams as a Giants fan. I'm very, very happy. Um, you know, bring them down into the muck with us. Let's get some more, uh, organizational problems in, in the NFC East. All, all four of us now have problems. The Eagles, Cowboys, Giants, and, and Washington commanders. They all, we all have problems now. <laughs> so. Yeah, man, it was it was pretty crazy. Now the news, um, Jason Kelsey, after the game, told his teammates that that was his last ride. Uh, according to Adam Scheffner, he had been contemplating it over the last couple seasons. You know, they went to the Super Bowl last year, so I'm sure he was like, oh, let me give it one last go around to see if we can get back to that point and maybe we can win it. Um, you have a bad end of the season, bad playoff loss and that's enough for Jason Kelsey but uh so the the Eagles offensive line which has been dominant basically since they won the Super Bowl so like the last seven or eight years maybe even nine or ten years honestly the Eagles have had a great offensive line and Jason Kelsey has quite literally been in the middle of that um as their center he is an all pro he is a first ballot hall of fame center I don't really have anything bad to say about Jason Kelsey, even though he was an Eagle his entire career. He was a great center, not really a dislikable guy at all. And it's, of course, with his podcast and his personality and him talking with Travis all the time, like you really get to see how great of a dude he is. So I have no ill will towards him. Um, obviously, great player, first ballot Hall of Fame. It's going to happen. And when Travis decides to hang it up too, then he'll he'll join his brother in Cooperstown. But Cooperstown, oh my God, <laughs> Canton. He'll join his brother in Canton, Ohio. Uh, but yeah, so it, it's it's uh it's a tough it's a tough day to be an Eagles fan. Just coming off that shellacking, one of uh, a franchise favorite is hanging it up. Okay, previewing the divisional round of the playoffs next week. We have four games, two on Saturday, two on Sunday. The first game at 4.30, the number one overall seeded Baltimore Ravens host the red-hot Houston Texans led by C.J. Stroud. Um, this will be a fun game. I don't, I honestly don't know how it's going to go. Right now, the Ravens are favored by nine, which given their home, they're the number one overall seed. They've looked pretty much unstoppable. C.J. Stroud still is a rookie. Going into a hostile environment, his first road playoff game. Um, it's tough to tell how this is going to shape up. I think the Ravens are going to win, but are they going to cover? I don't know. We'll see how they, they played. The last time they played was like week two. And, you know, they swarmed C.J. Stroud, completely overwhelmed him, blitzing him and all that kind of stuff. And he struggled and the Texans were bad and 
the Ravens offense didn't look great in that game. But again, that's week two. These teams are basically completely different. Like there's nothing about these teams are the same as they were in week two, uh, aside from the starting quarterbacks. So it, it, I, I like this matchup a lot. This should be a really fun game. I would expect it to be pretty electric. Um, but in the end, I'm going with the Baltimore Ravens to advance to the AFC championship game. Um, the NFC divisional game that is on next Saturday at 8.15. Packers at 49ers, a classic NFC championship matchup. These teams have met quite a bit over the over my entire life in the playoffs. They've met quite a bit. So uh, very excited to see Jordan Love and the Packers going into San Francisco. Now, the key for the Packers is going to be the same thing as it was against the Cowboys. And that is get on the board quickly and get on the board early. Okay. They scored really fast and really early on against the Cowboys and it put some pressure on them. They got Dak to make some mistakes and they capitalized on it. That's basically the same game plan you have to have against the San Francisco 49ers because the one flaw about the San Francisco 49ers is that they do not play well from behind. Uh, if you get out to a double-digit lead, a multiple-score lead, multiple-touchdown lead, the Niners are going to have some trouble closing that gap and regaining the lead. They, When they get ahead early, they dominate you, okay? They get ahead, then they run you into the ground, they stifle you on defense, and then there's basically nothing you can do. They dominate time of possession, and the game is over. Uh, but when they have to play from behind, that's when you put more pressure on Brock Purdy to make some plays and make some throws. And that's not always where he's best. Um, you know, having time of, of possession, getting the ball to McCaffrey, getting the ball to Kittle, Ayuk, right? Like methodically driving down the field is where the 49ers do best. And when they do that while they had the lead, then it's like you're basically being slowly drained um, on defense, right? And that's how you lose these games. But when they have to move down the field quickly and try and kind of close the gap and put points on the board, that's where they struggle. So that's your game plan for the Packers. Strike quickly, strike early, and strike often. And you're going to put yourself in a great position to win. Easier said than done. Obviously, that Niners defense is really, really tough. And unlike the Cowboys, which their biggest weakness uh, with the Cowboys defense, obviously their secondary secondary wasn't great, but their linebackers sucked. Uh, Cowboys had a absolutely horrible linebacker play. Um, they couldn't stop the run, and they couldn't assist in stopping the run. Uh, they couldn't really get any pressure on the quarterback. They were just completely lost in coverage as well. So just the linebackers for Dallas were bad, whereas the linebackers for San Francisco are probably the best linebacker group in the NFL. Not probably. They are the best linebacker group in the NFL. They have a great defensive front, and they have great DBs. Like, there really isn't any kind of glaring unit that has a weakness, um, or there isn't any glaring weakness on a specific unit on the 49ers' defense. Uh, so that's why it's a lot easier said than done. But Jordan Love's looked great, so we'll see how he operates in San Francisco. It's going to be a tough game for him. Sunday, the first game, uh, Bucks at Lions. By the way, San Francisco favored 9.5. So the Ravens are favored by 9 at home against the Texans, and the Niners are favored by 9.5 against the Packers at home. And then the Lions here, first game of the Sunday uh, slate, 3 p.m. They play the Bucks. They are favored by 6.5 points. And the Lions, I like Baker Mayfield. This is like grit versus grit. Baker versus Goff. Like they really, um, 
are going to be duking it out for like, hey, we are two former number one overall picks that were cast cast away by our original teams. And now here we are in the playoffs playing each other. Pretty cool story for either one of them. And it's it's pretty dope to see that no matter what, one of those guys is going to be in an NFC championship game. It's pretty insane to think of that. So uh, I'm going to bet on the Lions. I think the Lions are going to are kind of going to take the the wind out of the the Buccaneers' sails here, pun intended. So I'm I'm going to go with the Lions. I'm riding with the Lions. I like what they did against the Rams. Um, it's a lot less of an emotionally charged game. So I I think they're going to, you know, I think Dan Campbell is going to out coach the shit out of Todd Bowles. Honestly, if you had to give me one specific X factor, it's that Dan Campbell is a much better head coach than Todd Bowles. Um, as long as both of these guys, Baker and Goff, they are sometimes prone to turning the ball over. So if one of them doesn't turn the ball over and the other one does, then the guy who doesn't turn the ball over is going to be the one that wins the game. And then the finale on Sunday night, 630, uh, Chiefs at Bills. Buffalo is favored by two and a half points just because they're home. I uh, don't blame them, but a huge home playoff game here. This is a rematch of a couple of years ago where the Chiefs ended up beating Buffalo in Buffalo in overtime uh, with that crazy field goal. And, or no, they scored a touchdown in overtime. They tied it with that crazy field goal uh, with like 14 seconds left or whatever, remember? And now that's what this this overtime rule that they created that has not been used yet, where it's in the playoffs. If a game goes to overtime and the team that gets the ball first scores a touchdown, then the other team gets a chance to match. The game isn't automatically over. That's where this rule originated from. And... We'll see if it gets put to use <laughs> during this game. I don't know, but I do like the Bills here, man. I'm still riding high on the Bills. I know Mahomes is basically in Brady territory where it's like, don't bet against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs in the playoffs. Like, you can't bet against them until they are out, honestly. <laughs> it's like one of those things where it's don't bet against them because then they just keep winning. And it's like when you don't bet against them, then they end up losing, right? That's That's how it goes. But they will make you pay. But I don't care. I really like the Bills in this matchup i'm very excited uh to see them play this game in the playoffs um and to see either one honestly i would imagine the ravens are going to win against the texans so if it's the ravens versus either one of these teams it's going to be an electric game no matter what so i'm okay it's not like I want one of these teams specifically to win because it'll be a better matchup against Baltimore, but it's more so that like I I I want to see Josh Allen succeed. I want him to get to the AFC Championship game and I want him to beat the Ravens. But we we will see how that ends up turning. Obviously the Ravens still have to play the game and that's football baby. You have to play the game, you know? It, you could be hypotheticals all you want, but at the end of the day, sometimes it just doesn't work out for you no matter how good of a team you think you are, right? You have to play the game. And then Niners-Packers, uh, I think the Niners are going to win that game. And then for the Bucks and Lions, it's again, it's pretty cool that one of Baker Mayfield or Jared Goff is going to be in an NFC Championship game. Uh, even I know, obviously, Goff has made the Super Bowl before. That was with the Rams. He was a different quarterback. He was on a different team. Like, this storyline, how he's made, built, basically re revived and renewed his career with the Lions is really, really cool to see. So. Uh, and then even with Baker, it's like discarded by the Browns for a, a shitty person and, you know, bad, bad year with the Panthers goes to the Rams, 
and is there as like a backup for a few weeks, signs a one-year deal with the brand with the with the Buccaneers. And now if he gets to an NFC championship game, that's insane. Like he has gotten himself, even if he doesn't, like you want you won the division against all odds. Everyone thought you'd be rebuilding. A lot of people picked you to go dead last, you know, even behind the Panthers. You won the division. You won a playoff game. There's a lot, a lot to be proud of if you're Baker Mayfield and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I think he's going to be rewarded with a pretty decent contract at the end of this season or at the beginning of this offseason, whenever they decide to give it to him. I, you can't just like let Baker Mayfield go and move on to someone else. Like he is going to be rewarded with probably a two or three year contract. We'll see what happens, but it's not going to be super long term. It's not going to be super lucrative, but it is going to be a reward for what he's done for this organization because clearly he can win. You know, I think the Bucks have a lot of other things that they have to deal with. Obviously, Mike Evans is maybe on his way out the door. I don't know what's going on with Chris Godwin, right? Like there's a lot of their defense, a lot of their key guys on defense are getting older. So there's a lot of issues and 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 situations that the Bucks have to deal with. But in terms of who your quarterback's going to be for the next handful of seasons, it probably should be Baker Mayfield. All right. That is our playoff wrap up for the super wild card weekend and our preview for the divisional round. Uh, I think that's everything I want to get to. We talked about Jason Kelsey retiring. We're going to, we're, we're round, we're, we're almost done here, right? So we have a couple more weeks of football. Um, and then we're going to get heavy into basketball as we usually do. I was thinking maybe going every other week doing the podcast, uh, after football season's over, but We'll, we'll see what happens. I'm going to try and keep it weekly, but just a heads up. Maybe we'll have a schedule change, um, but I wouldn't really pay too much attention to that yet. Uh, we still have a lot of a lot of football to be played, a lot of important games, a lot of great matchups. I'm very excited for this divisional round. Uh, so that'll do it for this episode from my point of view. Thank you all very much for listening. Appreciate you as always. Uh, have a great rest of your week. Enjoy the weekend. I'll talk to you all next Tuesday or Wednesday. No, Tuesday. Yeah, because there's only games on Saturday and Sunday. So I'll talk to you all next Tuesday.